Hello everyone and welcome to the Wolf Speed's first quarter physical 2024 conference call. My name is Nadia and I'll be coordinating the call today. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. I will now hand over to your host, Tyler Gronbock, Vice President, External Affairs to begin. Tyler, please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to WolfSpeed's first quarter fiscal 2024 conference call. Today, WolfSpeed CEO Greg Lowe and WolfSpeed CFO Neil Reynolds will report on the results for the first quarter of fiscal year 2024. Please note that we will be presenting non-GAAP financial results during today's call, which we believe provides useful information to our investors. Non-GAAP results are not in accordance with GAAP and may not be comparable to non-GAAP information provided by other companies. Non-GAAP information should be considered a supplement to and not a substitute for financial statements prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation to the most directly comparable GAAP measures is in our press release and posted in the Investor Relations section of our website, along with a historical summary of other key metrics. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements about our business outlook, and we may make other forward-looking statements during the call. Such forward-looking statements are subject to numerous risks and uncertainties. Our press release today and the SEC filings noted in the release mention important factors that could cause actual results to differ materially. Lastly, I would also like to note that during the quarter, we announced our intent to sell our RF business to Maycom. The results of our RF business will now be classified as discontinuing operations, and all discussions today will be on a continuing operations basis. During the Q&A, we would ask that you limit yourself to one question so that we can accommodate as many questions as possible during today's call. If you have any additional questions, please feel free to contact us after the call. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Greg. Thanks, Tyler, and good afternoon, everyone. It is an exciting time at WillSpeed. With the pending sale of the RF business, we are now the world's only pure play, vertically integrated silicon carbide company. We are uniquely positioned to drive the industry transition from silicon to silicon carbide from both a materials and a device perspective. As we continue to scale our operations, we have overcome our fair share of challenges along the way, and I remain very confident around our long-term trajectory for three reasons. First, we've demonstrated the capability to consistently produce enough high-quality, high-yielding 200-millimeter wafers in Building 10 ahead of the needs of the Mohawk Valley Fab. Second, we've assembled a team comprised of internal silicon carbide experts, including one of our co-founders, and external advisors from our tool manufacturers to ensure that we will achieve 20% utilization at Mohawk Valley in the June quarter of 2024, and we've seen notable progress this quarter. And finally, customers continue to partner with WolfSpeed as we secured our third highest quarterly total of device design ends at 2.2 billion. And we converted more than a billion dollars of design wins this past quarter as well. In addition, We've also posted record revenue for our 150 millimeter substrates in the first quarter, which is an indication that demand remains robust for our high quality substrates. 
Our first quarter results demonstrate the initial returns on our capacity expansion investments that will pave the way for the rest of the fiscal year and beyond. Revenue, non-GAAP gross margin, and non-GAAP EPS all came in at the high end of our guidance range. Turning to Mohawk Valley, where we continued to ramp production. This quarter, we generated $4 million in revenue from the FAB, which compares to $1 million that was delivered in the previous quarter. In the coming quarter, we expect to more than double the output from the FAB as we continue to ramp device production. Because of the complex nature of silicon carbide technology, as we ramp the FAB further, we are collaborating even more closely with our tool vendors to ensure maximum uptime, the best yields, and the most efficient use of all of our tools. We've worked closely with them to develop optimal operating protocols, and as a result, we're seeing good improvement in the FAB. I was just up in the FAB last week meeting with the leadership team, walking the floor to talk with our technicians and seeing the progress firsthand that we're making in some of our bottleneck areas. We've now doubled the number of products qualified in the last 90 days. And all of those MOSFETs achieve qualification on the first pass through the FAB, which is a strong indication of the underlying capability of the FAB. Finally, those products we have already qualified have sufficient demand to more than satisfy our short-term 20% utilization target. I am especially proud of this incredible effort by our team. It speaks to the advanced silicon carbide technical device capability we have assembled and the focused and detailed execution of our engineering and quality teams to ensure that we are more than ready to produce high quality automotive devices at 200 millimeters something nobody else in the world is currently doing. As I mentioned, we are head of land in our ramp of building 10 crystal growth for 200 millimeter substrates. By the end of this quarter, we will be producing enough material to support 15% utilization at Mohawk Valley, putting us nicely on track for our goal of 20% utilization by June of 2024. Turning to the JP, Construction continues and is on schedule. We expect to be producing material in the first half of fiscal 2025. And we've already hired and began training more than 100 people that will work at that facility. On the demand side, as I said, we recorded $2.2 billion of design ends, the third largest amount of any quarter in our history, and had a record design wins of $1.4 billion illustrating our customers' willingness to move into volume production on projects that we've won over the past few years. Our design win record for the first quarter represents more than 230 projects, many of which are converting sooner than our original expectations. Most of these projects serve the automotive end market, and we are steadily ramping our design ends to design win with major OEMs and tier ones. We remain confident that the demand from automotive customers will remain strong, while we are seeing some softness in the industrial and energy space, primarily in China and Asia. Additionally, we had a record quarter for 150 millimeter wafer revenue, a strong signal that the demand for materials remains solid. Wolfspeed is the first mover to 200 millimeter wafer volume production. 
which will be the silicon carbide industry's most advanced technology. As a result, we are well positioned to be the only company producing 200 millimeter at scale for the next few years and believe this competitive advantage will further extend our leadership position well into the future. Wolfspeed, as the undisputed leader in silicon carbide, will continue to play an industry critical role in the coming years as a supplier of merchant materials to leading power device makers. Demands for our materials remain strong and we have extended some of our agreements with existing wafer customers and added new agreements like the one with Renesis. That being said, we're not content with being the leading material supplier to the market. We also expect to be one of the top silicon carbide device suppliers in the years to come. In 2018, the silicon carbide device market was estimated to be about $400 million. Five years later, the market size is pegged at $6 billion, and the projected TAM for the end of the decade is north of $20 billion and continues to grow. Now, this is part of the reason we announced and are now in the process of completing the sale of our RF business to Macon, which we expect to close by the end of the calendar year. We've always said that the growth of Wolfspeed will come from our leadership in silicon carbide and power devices. And this marks a definitive milestone in allocating all of our investments, research and development, and technology into these business areas. There is a long road ahead of us here, which is why we invested the time and capital to develop the world's only purpose-built silicon carbide device fab. We're keenly focused on execution and firmly believe we're doing this right. Doing this at scale at 200 millimeter from the outset will result in gaining and sustaining significant market share in the coming decades. It is rewarding to see the pieces of our long-term strategy become a reality, albeit on a longer timeline than we originally anticipated. The remainder of this fiscal year, and particularly the second half, will prove the conviction that we've always had in our strategy, in our products, and in our team. It is extremely exciting to see what's on the horizon. I'll now turn it over to Neil, who will provide an overview of our financial results and outlook. Neil? Thanks, Greg, and good afternoon, everyone. During the first quarter, we achieved revenue, gross margin, and EPS results all at the high end of our guidance range. In addition, we expect continued revenue growth and gross margin expansion as we transition into 2Q24. The outperformance in our financial results was underpinned by $4 million of revenue from Mohawk Valley during the quarter, up from $1 million in the prior quarter. And we expect to grow that to between 10 to 15 million of revenue as we transition into 2Q24. While we expect some variability in the production ramp at Mohawk Valley, we remain on pace for a larger step up in revenue as we transition into 3Q24. With that, let me review the financial results in more detail. I'll start by providing an overview of the first quarter. Revenue from continuing operations for the quarter was $197 million, compared to our updated guidance range of $185 million to $205 million, and growth of 4.2% year over year. Power device revenue was impacted by slower industrial and energy demand 
primarily in China and the broader Asia market, partially offset by the revenue ramp in Mohawk Valley. Materials 150-millimeter substrate revenue achieved a record quarter above our expectations, driven by continued strong demand and record manufacturing performance by our Durham Materials Operations team. As Greg mentioned earlier, our historical design and portfolio supported the first quarter revenue growth, and we secured $2.2 billion of new design ends for power devices. Our design in to design wind conversion rate is ahead of our original expectations. And based on the design ends we've already secured, we have the next few years of expected revenue covered by our existing book of business. Non-GAAP gross margin from continuing operations in the first quarter was 15.6%. Under utilization costs for the quarter were 34.4 million, representing 17.4% or 1,740 basis points of gross margin. Outperformance was driven largely by improved materials manufacturing performance, resulting in better than expected 150 millimeter materials costs and yields. In addition, we saw lower than expected underutilization costs as we ramped Mohawk Valley. We generated adjusted loss per share of 53 cents from continuing operations in the fiscal first quarter, compared to a loss of 36 cents last quarter and a loss of 24 cents in the same period last year. Adjusted loss per share was a significantly lower loss than the high end of our guidance range as higher revenue, higher gross margin, and lower operating expenses all fell through to the bottom line. Before moving to the outlook, I'll touch on our balance sheet. We ended the quarter with over $3.3 billion of cash and liquidity on hand to support our ramp and growth plans. DSO was 55 days, while inventory days on hand was 162 days. Free cash flow during the quarter was negative 517 million, comprised of 113 million of operating cash flow and 404 million of capital expenditures. Regarding our financing initiatives, we are pursuing funding from the CHIPS Act and should have more clarity on this by early next calendar year. We are constantly evaluating ways to optimize our balance sheet and capital structure and will continue to be opportunistic and flexible in our capital strategy. In the last year, we have raised approximately $5 billion of low dilution capital across a number of vectors, including customers, governments, private financing, and capital markets. In conjunction with federal funding, we are in good position to execute our capacity expansion plans, but we will remain nimble to optimize our capital structure for the long term. Turning to the second quarter outlook, we are targeting revenue from continuing operations in the range of 192 million to 222 million, driven largely by the incremental revenue contribution we expect from Mohawk Valley in this quarter. We now anticipate roughly 10 million to 15 million of revenue to come from Mohawk Valley in Q2. This increase in Mohawk Valley revenue will be partially offset by continued softer demand for the industrial and energy products, primarily in the China and broader Asia markets. However, we will look to repurpose the supply to where end demand remains strong. We are also expecting non-GAAP gross margin in the range of 12% to 20% with a midpoint of 16%. At the midpoint, this includes approximately 35 million or negative 1,700 basis points of underutilization costs as we ramp up revenue at the Mohawk Valley Fab. 
We are also targeting non-GAAP operating expenses of approximately $109 million for the second quarter of fiscal year 2024, which is inclusive of $11 million of startup costs, primarily related to the JP Materials facility in Siler City, North Carolina. We expect Q2 net non-operating expense of approximately $27 million. As I have mentioned previously, we expect non-operating expense to increase as the year progresses as we earn less interest income on our short-term investments in connection with our continued investment in our facilities expansions. We expect Q2 non-GAAP net loss to be between 88 million and 71 million. Our Q2 targets are based on several factors that could affect them significantly, including supply chain dynamics, overall demand, product mix, factory productivity, and the competitive environment. As Greg mentioned earlier, we are moving ever closer to the significant uptick in our ramp of the Mohawk Valley Fab, and we expect a larger ramp in the back half of the fiscal year. We are still extremely confident in our ability to achieve 20% utilization in the Fab by June. As we indicated on our last call, there will be a lag between 20% utilization and 100 million of quarterly revenue due to the time between Fab starts and shipments to our customers. Lastly, during the quarter, we announced the intent to sell our RF business to Maycom, a path we had been pursuing for quite some time. When the sale is finalized, we will have completed the path towards portfolio optimization that we have been on since 2018, when we were predominantly a lighting company. We are happy to say that Wolfspeed is now the only pure play silicon carbide business in the marketplace, and we can focus all our collective efforts on the silicon carbide materials and power device businesses. With that, I'll pass it back to Greg. As we close out the first quarter, I want to reiterate that fiscal 2024 is a pivotal year for Wolfspeed. We remain confident in our long-term vision and are seeing promising results. While I gave some color earlier on design ends, I think it's worth repeating that we had a record design wins for this past quarter as customers ramp their programs. Demand has certainly attracted new entrants, and from our viewpoint and checks in the market, there is not a single player who can match our quality and our scale at 150 milliliter. And as I said earlier, no one is close to our position at 200 milliliter. This gap will only widen as we bring the JP online in the first half of fiscal 2025. Secondly, while there have been several new entrants to the materials market, Chinese and others, the significant ramp required to create high quality materials is still in front of them. It's taken us 35 years to master this technology, which we know firsthand can be incredibly difficult to work with, let alone scale and produce at the highest quality possible. While I've always said we are taking our competitors at their word regarding their stated capability to produce silicon carbide materials internally, it is highly unlikely that every competitor will be successful. And this will create an opportunity for those with additional materials capacity to secure long-term agreements with device producers or capture an even larger share of the device market. And we are well positioned to do both. Demand remains strong across the business outside of the industrial and energy markets, particularly in China and Asia. Overall, what we have said time and time again about the transition to the use of silicon carbide 
rings true. The EV transition remains the largest change in the history of the automobile. And with that comes winners and losers and potentially a bumpy path. However, there's no reverting to the internal combustion engine. That is the way of the past. Silicon carbide has shown that EVs can be pushed further with extended range, faster charge times, and competitive prices. Despite the current softness in China and Asia, demand remains high for our products and customers' needs are higher than our current output levels. And this is why we are keenly focused on ramping Mohawk Valley to 20% utilization. To close, we're excited about this year. Fiscal 2023 was not without its challenges, but those challenges come with being the first to pursue next generation 200 millimeter technology in silicon carbide. However, the opportunity to be the leader of this transformative technology keeps us moving forward as quickly and as purposely as possible to execute and generate value for our stakeholders. Thank you, operator. And we're now ready for Q&A. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you choose to retract your question, please press star followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure your phone is unmuted locally. We ask you please limit yourself to one question per person. Our first question goes to Samik Chatterjee of JP Morgan. Samik, please go ahead, your line is open. Hey, thanks guys. This is actually Joe Cardoso on Persomic. Yeah, so for my one question, you know, it sounds like qualifications and the Building 10 ramp are tracking well. So as we think about what is keeping you on the sidelines relative to Mohawk reaching 20% utilization earlier than the June quarter itself, can you just walk us through what the key drivers are at this point in the ramp? Just curious to hear your thoughts on that front. Thanks for the question, guys. Yeah, thank you for thanks for the question. You know, first off, you're right. Building 10 is in great shape right now. We'll be producing uh, material uh, in this quarter that will be able to support 15% utilization. And obviously, we have two quarters uh, after that to get to 20% utilization in uh, in Mohawk Valley. So that's in really great shape. Um, we've qualified a, a bunch of different MOSFETs already in that fab. All of those MOSFETs have qualified on first pass success. And we've actually qualified two modules as well that have come through on 200 millimeter, which I think is a really good sign for the quality of our back-end operation. The fab itself is the world's first 200 millimeter fab. And as such, a lot of the machines that are in the fab are seeing uh, volume ramp of 200 millimeter silicon carbide uh, for the first time. And so we're working very closely with our tool vendor to ensure we have better uptime where the machine, one particular machine is seeing um, uh, downtime more than than we would, uh, than it should. Um, we have a team that is completely focused on resolving that. As I mentioned, I was in the fab last week. I met with the engineers from our team as well as the engineer from the vendor's team. They are all supremely confident that this is a normal process of going through as you ramp and we will resolve this and the prime track to 20% utilization in the June quarter. Thank you. And our next question goes to Harsh Kumar of Piper Sandler. Harsh, please go ahead, your line is open. Yeah, hey, um, 
Hi guys, um, had a quick timing question. So Mark Valley did $4 million of revenues in the March quarter. Um, that implies that given the timing, the lead time difference, conversion, packaging, et cetera, that means that Mohawk Valley wafer runs in the March slash April timeframe were about that $4 million. Um, so my, my question really is, could you give us a glimpse into what Mohawk Valley wafer runs are looking like on a dollar basis today? Um, and, and that would be that would be the color that I'm looking for. Thanks. Hey, Harsh. Thanks for the question. This is Neil. So first of all, let me just uh, when you start thinking about utilization of the fab and how that relates to wafer starts, that's really what we're talking about here. So utilization uh, in the fab is really a function more of uh, you know wafer starts. So uh, when we talked about getting to you know 15 percent uh, out of building 10 this quarter, that means we're running wafers out of North Carolina, floating uh, carbide by 200 millimeter substrate out of North Carolina that could potentially support the fab at 15 percent utilization even by the end of this year. As you look out to the end of the year, we're still on target uh, to get to 20% utilization. So what that means is we're seeing, you know, solid performance from a substrate perspective to meet that goal. After that, what that means is, it's, again, it starts utilization. So what that means is you have to put the wafers in the fab. You've got to run those through the fab. Uh, you've got that cycle time. You've got to send it to the back end and be either sold as devices or as uh, package parts that may have to the packages so the various cycle times on that as well. So. Once we get to the 20% utilization, there'll be a bit of lag as you work through those cycle times until you see, um, you know, the revenue that corresponds to that. So in this case, once we get to 20% uh, in that June timeframe, we'd anticipate that being from a revenue translating from a revenue perspective to about 100 million in revenue as we get to December uh, quarter uh, next year. I would just maybe add one one comment to it. You know, as material goes through these uh, these tools in the factory. We're seeing great results as, as they go through the tool. What we're seeing, though, is that the downtime or the maintenance required is is higher than it should be right now. And again, I was in the fab last week. I met with the engineers on both the tool side as well as our side, and there's a there's a very good line of sight for what we need to do to uh, to get the tool uptime um, where it needs to be. And as soon as that happens, our ability to transition from relatively low utilization to towards its 20% um, should be a very, very good snap uh, as, we, as we fix that. Um, as I mentioned, I was in the, in the FAB last week. I will be in the FAB two more times in, uh, in November, including on Thanksgiving Day, to continue the focus of Mohawk Valley Ramp to 20% utilization. Thank you. And our next question goes to George Giannarikis of Tanaccord Genuity. George, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon, and, and thank you for taking my question. I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, some of the turbulence, uh, to say the least, in recent discussions around EV plans uh, at some of the big three European OEMs. What are your thoughts there? And, you know, I, I know you talked about your backlog being so robust that it didn't kind of matter for the next couple few quarters, but uh, what are you seeing in your own business that may or may not reflect what we're hearing in the marketplace? Thank you. Well, you know, obviously we would we would like our Mohawk Valley value to be rampant faster, and so would our customers. And as such, I've been on pretty much weekly calls with CEOs and executives from major OEMs and tier ones 
And basically their consistent message back to me is we need more and we need it soon. So, you know, the demand that we're seeing both near-term and long-term is very, very solid. I'll remind um, folks that many of the cars that are that are being sold today were designed, electric cars that are being sold today were designed five, six, seven years ago and are with, um, with silicon-based um, MOSFETs or IGBTs. And what silicon carbide does is three important things. One, is it extends the range of the car. Two, it allows the car to be charged faster. From a, and then three, um, at, the, at the vehicle level, using silicon carbide allows the vehicle to be less expensive because there are lots of, you know, you use less battery, there's less cooling and different things. In fact, there was a report a few years ago that said for every incremental dollar of silicon that you spend on silicon carbide over silicon, you get three and a half to seven dollars back. So basically, silicon carbide is enabling longer range, it's enabling faster charging, and it's enabling lower systems cost. And that's kind of a trifecta for EVs. So any of the noise that you see um, today, it, it certainly has no impact on our demand, both near term and long term. And by the way, that's um, that's OEMs and uh, and tier ones in the U.S., in China, and in Europe. Thank you. And the next question goes to Brian Lee of Goldman Sachs. Brian, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I guess you mentioned, I think, Neil, during your prepared remarks that um, you're kind of implying a, a stronger step up in Mohawk in, in 3Q. Um, does that imply that the uh, tool downtime issue that um, uh, that you guys have been referencing here is sort of done by that point? And then, you know, if I just look at the numbers, 2Q midpoint for Mohawk is up like 3x sequentially in revenue terms. So is, is 3Q expected to be up at that level or above, or are you talking more in absolute dollars when you're talking about this bigger step up? Thanks, guys. Well, I think, uh, thanks, Brian, for the question. So I think as Greg mentioned, there's obviously a lot of attention now that we're seeing the yeah, 200 millimeter substrates um, you know, supporting the fab, you know, the fab ramp in a, in a very, you know, good way at this point. So a lot of the attention is on the fab itself. Um, we're working very closely with the fab team, uh, with the external vendor teams and whatnot to try and solve what I, we think are, you know, very solvable challenges in the fab right now that we're trying to get more throughput uh, through the system, you know, through the uptimes and, and the cycle times and chart getting material out of the fab. So our anticipation is that we would see an uptick in revenues you kind of get to the back, you know, back half of the year. Um, if you take a step back and look at the pieces, maybe just unpack those a bit. You know, normally when we think about revenue uh, guidance, we get about $100 million a quarter out of Durham, 90, 95 million, uh, sorry, 100, 100 million a quarter out of Durham for power devices, 90 or 95 million uh, material capacity that we've got. So uh, the step up in the back half um, would be from, you know, from revenue from Mohawk Valley. We have 10 to 15 million this quarter. You could see us, you know, doubling that, you know, again, next quarter as well. It's going to institute three. So it really will just depend on, you know, how things play out from a, a uptime perspective and a throughput perspective in the past, but we feel like we've got good confidence right now. Uh, 
Thank you. Our next question goes to Joshua Bacolta of Cohen. Joshua, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, congrats on the progress. Um, I wanted to ask about the timeline of the JP, actually. So you mentioned it's on schedule, uh, ramping in the fiscal first half of 2025. What should we, how should we expect the cadence of that ramp to look compared to Building 10? And, and the reason I ask is it sounds like there's roughly a two-quarter lag between when you get utilizations in Building 10 to when you generate revenue. And is that sort of indicative of what we should expect at um, – at the JP when that starts up and any initial indications of, of how much that could contribute in fiscal 2025. Thank you. Well, I would say, let me maybe kick it off and, you know, let you want to add a little bit of color to it. Um, the JP um, is a substantially larger facility than, than building 10. And, uh, you know, as such, as we, as we turn it on, it'll, it'll turn on pretty decent capability kind of right from the start. Um, it's on schedule at this point, and you know, obviously, we want to keep it on schedule, so that's all looking pretty good. But basically, I would anticipate that um, that uh, as we ramp up the JP, is I think the the amount of capability that will be coming online will actually be quite substantial. You know, if you want to talk about the uh, timing. Yeah, so in the timing, we said kind of uh, back half the calendar next year, um, uh, 24, in terms of crystal growth out of the JP, which I think you know, would be in good shape for. Right now, the timeline on our expansions are you know, all on track from the timeline and budget perspective, so we feel good about we're right there. However, I also add to that, um, you know, we're looking for ways to, you know, expand our current capacity out beyond 20%, just to buffer that a bit over that time frame. Um, we've invested in some satellite sites to help with back-end uh, wafering operations, back backing operations to help with that. Um, in addition, uh, there's going to be opportunity, I think, in time. We've seen really good performance out of our operations manufacturing team. So there'll be yield opportunity, operations productivity improvements, and throughput capability that could you know, bring us beyond that, uh, that 20% or so uh, capability out of Durham. So we're working through all of those things now, you know, putting in extra capacity where we can, uh, looking for, you know, yield optimization and other, op other opportunities from a productivity perspective to bring more uh, capacity online in that period. So we're trying to take it on, you know, from a number of angles, and we'll give you an update on that as we make more progress as we get into the next year. So just to reiterate, JP is currently on schedule. We're working with our existing uh, facilities in, in Durham um, to increase productivity to give us more than 20% utilization of, um, of the Mohawk Valley Fab. And we're also utilizing um, satellite sites for back-end operations um, to support the JP as well. So we're trying to create a little bit of belt and suspenders on, uh, on JP. Thank you. And our next question goes to Jed Dorsheimer of William Blair. Jed, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my question. I guess two part or really two questions. I'll break the rules, I guess. Um, I guess the first is, you know, your sounds like things are going better at Mohawk Valley and your underutilization costs of 37 million um, are actually better than, than what you uh, what you guided for, um, or 34 million better than what you guided in terms of 37. So I was wondering if you could maybe just um, talk about uh, the revenue implications in terms of, is it a direct one for one or is there a lagging effect in terms of it, uh, is Mohawk 
scales, and then I, I have a, a follow-up to. Maybe I'm going to kick it off, and then Neil can um, talk a little bit about that. You know, it's, it's um, without a doubt, we wanted to be ramping Mohawk Valley faster than we currently are, and our customers wanted that as well. So we're not satisfied with the situation. Uh, we're intensely trying to work it and so forth. I think we've made a lot of really good progress um, on it. Obviously, Building 10 has been very, very successful. We are also supremely confident that we'll be able to get these tools operating the way that they um, are supposed to, and uh, and we'll be able to ramp that that fast to 20% utilization in the June quarter. Yeah, and then just from a numbers perspective, Jed, yes, we did see some benefit on the margin just because of the uh, the lower utilization level. Uh, although I did mention, you know, we're going to be, um, you know, based on what we're, we're seeing from the substrate performance on 200 millimeter, you know, we're going to move as quickly as we can to create you know, put more capacity online. Uh, maybe even faster than we thought initially, uh, both in the fab and then at the material satellite sites I mentioned earlier. So you could see that underutilization number tick up throughout the year uh, until you start to see it come down uh, back in uh, fiscal uh, 2025. And that's just really related to you know, adding you know, more capacity given the outlook we're seeing uh, you know, from the substrate performance perspective, just to give us as many you know, opportunities to uh, you know, supply our customers as we look out in time. As Greg said, you know, very heavy demand, particularly on the automotive side right now. Uh, very intense discussions with customers, so we're looking for for all the ways we can to uh, to satisfy uh, their their demand with uh, with putting in you know more capacity um, you know, as we as we adapt the time there. Great. And then just as my follow up, if I look at the um, last quarter, you saw a bump up in inventory. Um, and uh, raw materials saw, uh, I think, the greatest uh, increase quarter over quarter. Um, this quarter, you saw a slight increase, I think, of 13 million um, in inventory. I, I don't know the composition because uh, the queue hasn't been filed. Um, I'm assuming that most of that is work in process. Could you just give us some color on that? And where I'm going with this is just trying to back into the uh, buildup of inventory from a wafer perspective. Thanks. Well, let me, yeah, thanks, Chad. And let me give kind of a high level on that, that Neil can work through the details on this. You know, we began working with our raw material suppliers in May of 2019, um, getting ready for what is this big and transformative ramp in silicon carbide. We knew that we were going to need to have them investing in their capacity to support this ramp. And obviously, I think we've done a really good job of doing that. So some of this is all just about getting uh, material in place and capacity in place so that we're not bottleneck, you know, kind of upstream, if you will. Yeah, and then from a numbers standpoint, um, Jed, that's right. I don't think there's any big pickup in finished goods primarily related to raw, raw materials and WIP. Um, so raw about uh, ensuring we have enough raw material capacity to, to support the substrate ramp, uh, as Greg indicated. In addition, we're supplying a lot of wafers out of uh, the Durham uh, Building 10 from a 200 millimeter substrate capacity and sending those up to up the Mohawk Valley, and that's the other kind of take up in, uh, in, in inventory as well. Uh, from a finished goods perspective, um, we're not seeing much growth there. We're, we're still, uh, yeah, we're still continuing to ship to customers uh, on the most side as quickly as we can. Thank you. On our next question, go to Carlin Roosh of Oppenheimer. Carlin, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks so much. Um, Guys, you mentioned the potential for folks to end up exiting the market. Um, can you talk a little bit about how discerning the customers are at this point around assessing that risk and how 
impactful that is in, in terms of your design wins and, and design ends that you've uh, you done. Alan, can I, can I ask you to repeat that? I, it was really hard to hear you. Okay, no problem. Um, you know, you, you talked about some folks exiting the market, um, you know, or failing in the market, and then I'm curious about um, your customer's ability to assess the risk of, of folks not being able to deliver on some of their commitments. Um, you know, and I'm wondering how impactful that is around your design and design line uh, performance. Yeah, well, I would say that, um, you know, we are clearly the leader in silicon carbide technology, supply substrates to nearly all of the device um, folks out there and obviously feed those to ourselves. So having that as a, having that strength really underpins, you know, their belief in our ability to wrap this technology. Um, like I said, I've been, I'm on weekly calls with executives and CEOs from our tier one partners, our OEM customers, et cetera, and their consistent messages, they need more and they need it faster. And, um, and we're, you know, and then they see that, uh, you know, we're ramping Mohawk Valley. They'd like us to ramp Mohawk Valley faster. Um, but the one thing they see is that we have something called Mohawk Valley. We have the world's largest 200 millimeter wafer fat. Uh, they've seen that we've been able to solve the, the crystal growth, you know, challenge for 200 millimeter and get building 10 um, operating. That's probably, that's not probably, that is the hardest thing to do. And, and uh, getting a silicon carbide MOSFET is getting the wafer and the substrate, you know, right. So I think it's a matter of time for, uh, for us uh, demonstrating, you know, the 20% utilization out of Mohawk Valley, I think we're pretty close on that. As Neil said, the Building 10 is feeding Mohawk Valley now, obviously, at a higher rate than we're utilizing out of Mohawk Valley. We've got plenty of inventory staged up there. So as we as we knock out these last couple of um, bottlenecks, you know, I think we're going to see a, a pretty nice tick up in, in Mohawk Valley. And then finally. I think it's worth mentioning, or again, mentioning again, the fact that we've had first pass qualification on these MOSFETs coming in a new wafer fab, a new wafer diameter, you know, and so forth, um, really points to the fundamental capability of this fab. It, it is not normal that you would have 100% first pass success rate on, you know, all the MOSFETs that you qualified, including a couple of modules. And I think that really, again, underpins the, the fundamental capability. Thank you. Our next question goes to Vivek Arya of Bank of America. Vivek, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, Greg, I just wanted to uh, get your perspective on, um, you know, the next one to two years. There is just a lot of concern about uh, more capacity uh, coming online. I understand maybe it's not exactly the same, you know, quality as, as yours and maybe it might not even have the same cost structure, but the fact of the matter is there is a significant amount of uh, whether it's 150 or 200 millimeter uh, capacity. Um, so how how do you look at that? Are you assuming that the market stays undersupplied for the next one or two years? Is it just rightly supplied? What, what are your assumptions about industry capacity for the next uh, one to two years? I think from my viewpoint, um, you know, uh, there is going to be a supply-demand mismatch. There will be more demand than there will be supply, certainly over the next couple of years and probably a lot longer than that. I would, I would repeat something that I said in our prepared remarks. 
this quarter, this past quarter, we recorded a record materials revenue. So there's a lot of noise about, you know, different folks coming online, but, you know, the demand for our materials is very, very strong. And um, we're obviously in constant communication with our materials customers. Many of them are looking for extensions and expansions and, you know, and things like that. And then obviously we just uh, reported the largest capacity reservation positive in the history of semiconductors with our deal with uh, Renesis. Um, the feedback we're getting from, from folks is that China is doing a lot of investing in, uh, in silicon carbide. They're doing that in silicon as well. Um, but the feedback we're also getting is that they're not automotive ready at 150, let alone 200. So I really don't anticipate, um, you know, a, a, a demand being below supply for any any time in the future, really, next couple of years for sure, and probably the next half of a decade. Thank you. Our next question goes to Christopher Rowland of Sequanaha. Christopher, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks for the question. Um, I, I guess uh, today a competitor talked about um, a fairly large downtick in SIC for them. Um, I, I guess my question for you is, uh, and, and you may have just addressed it, Greg, but um, is your uh, is your backlog uh, covering all through 2024 and into 25? Uh, do you have any problems uh, with customers that are looking for push-outs, et cetera? And would those push-outs, if you experience them, would they be fungible or transferable to someone else? Yeah, let me let me uh, start with an answer on that, and I'll kick it over to Neil for a little bit more detail. Uh, the only area of softness that we see is industrial and energy, basic and primarily that's China and, and Asia. Um, everything else is is pretty strong. In fact, um, well, Neil, why don't you just kind of give some of the numbers? Yeah, so if we look at the revenue outlook as you go into the second half of the year, in fact, from an auto perspective, as Greg said, you know, very, very heavy demand. And I think that's across the U.S., that's in Europe, that's in Asia. So we're seeing, you know, heavy demand there. And that's really a function of how fast we can, you know, ramp a lot of value and ramp, ramp capacity. We are seeing some uh, softness in industrial uh, and energy uh, areas, particularly in China is Asia. Right now, China represents about 20% in, you know, of our total revenue, again, primarily in industrial uh, and energy space. Um, but in conversations with customers, that's really just kind of a, I mean, inventory timing. We're still seeing growth there. It's still very heavy uh, demand from automotive customers uh, from China as well. So we're really just working through the revenue, sorry, the inventory timing as you look out into the industrial side. And a third piece to that is on the material side, as Greg mentioned, we're still seeing very strong demand for, you know, 150 millimeter wafers as well. So, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, I think demand heavy in automotive devices, demand heavy in 150 millimeter uh, substrates, a little bit of softness in industrial energy uh, perspective, but we're just looking to match up supply and demand there right now. So there are pockets where we can take that uh, supply, match it up to where the demand is still remains strong in industrial energy. And that's really what we're looking at right now in terms of uh, the outlook. Thank you. The next question goes to Natalia Winkler of Jefferies. Natalia, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. Um, 
I, I wanted to ask um, about the new design wins um, this this quarter that you guys have seen. Could you possibly kind of help us figure out where you know where the most of them are? Is there a way to think about you know maybe kind of an increase in industrial uh, activity or or automotive and and just broadly any additional color would be really helpful. Okay, so just from a clarification uh, perspective, um, we we um, we call our design ends. And that's when a customer awards us the business. And then we say design win. And that's when a customer transitions into production. Uh, specifically, they have to give us purchase orders for 20% of the first year's anticipated um, volume that they declared during the design end phase. So we had a billion dollars worth of design wins, which means customers were transitioning from they awarded us the program to their beginning to ramp into production. That's an incredible number, by the way, um, and, it's, and it's happening faster than we anticipated. Uh, I believe that was 230 different projects. Uh, many of those were automotive projects, some, and the others sprinkled around um, uh, industrial uh, opportunities. But I would say the majority of those were automotive. Thank you. The next question goes to Matthew Prisco of Evercore. Matthew, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks for taking the question, guys. Um, how should we be thinking about the gross margin path from here, uh, particularly given the commentary on under, underutilization potentially sticking higher? Is low to mid 20% still the right range exiting the year? And kind of what would be the primary risk driver set figure at this point, either upside or downside? Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Let me just maybe I should unpack the gross margin a little bit um, as we look look here. So obviously, in one Q, you know, we had a good quarter from a gross margin perspective. You know, at the high end of the guidance range, this is really driven by you know strong performance from the materials operations team and just a very very good cost yield and output performance both on uh, 150 millimeter and 200 millimeter substrates. Um, so that was you know solid. And if you go back to 4Q24, you know we reported you know gross margin of approximately 29%. Um, and when we divested of RF, um, we picked up about 200 basis points of improvement, uh, excluding the RF business. So the baseline back in 4Q was about 31%. And we just saw about you know 200 basis points of improvement in gross margin quarter over quarter when you exclude that underutilization. So I'd say overall, you know, good good uh, quarter from a gross margin perspective. Um, and and with that, a little bit of a lower impact from underutilization. Although as I said earlier. You might see that tick up a bit more uh, towards the end of the year um, as we bring on more capacity. So with that, if you look out beyond that, uh, we will see an uptick in gross margin as you kind of get into 2Q. Uh, we'll see continued solid performance, you know, offset a little bit by some of the auto mix that we'll see come into the business uh, as we continue to support that demand. Uh, we talked about underutilization being 35 million at the midpoint. Might tick up again as you get out to the end of the year. Um, but as we get out towards the end of the year, you know, at 20% or so, you know, gross margin target for the end of the year uh, still makes sense. I think even with that in there, um, it's really going to be a bunch of common volume we can drive through Mohawk Valley. Uh, we said it many times, all roads lead to you know, lead to Mohawk Valley. And I think from a market perspective, that's the case as well. So I still think that's a you know a good target to think about as you as you move into the back half of the year. Thank you. The next question goes to Edward Snyder of Charter Equity Research. Edward, please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks a lot. Um, maybe first a housekeeping, just to check, um, Neil. Uh, 
the quarter of you back out, obviously you've gotten uh, performed out the RF business and giving our utilization charges. I'm getting around 32% gross margin if you get all that out of it. And then it looks like um, the RF business last quarter, uh, give you pro, I'm sorry, last year, because you performed that was running around 24% gross margin. Just want to check on that. And then um, I had a question about the materials. Yeah, and so in uh, in, in 4K24, we recorded 29% gross margin. The RF business was about a 200 basis point drag. So you can think about the XRF number being about 31%. So that's about 200 basis points to pick up there. Um, if you exclude the underutilization, we saw about 200 basis points pick up 4Q into 1Q. So, um, you know, we recorded 15.6% with, uh, with that 17.4% of underutilization um, in, the you know, in, in the quarter. As you move into you know, key three now, we'll see a little, a little bit of an uptick in the underutilization just related to some of that capacity that we're bringing up. Great. And then in, um, in kind of the detailed survey we did of all the new competitors in China and talking to folks on the ground there, it seemed, and, and the feedback we got from the conference in, in Italy, um, the feedback seems to be pretty consistent that on a die basis, Wolf Speed is still the preferred vendor. Um, even some of your competitors tell us that too. Um, and module, you, you need. There's work that needs to be done because you, you're kind of early in modules to begin with. But the vast majority of, of everything you're going to be shipping uh, uh, provided by Wolf's, uh, by Mohawk Valley is going to be die anyway, right? And so as that ramps up, um, some of these deals, I, Greg, just looking for your opinion, some of these deals where some of your vendors are, are cutting deals to get any kind of die they can get now because the demand is uh, far exceeds supply could revert back to um, higher demand once they see that Mohawk's up and has the capacity to supply it. Isn't, isn't that a, a fair assessment? I think the um, the ramp of Mohawk Valley will largely be a die story for the near term. We we won some good you know module business as well, but um, many of our customers are are basically building uh, their own uh, inverters and their own modules. So it certainly is going to be a ramp mostly on the die side of things. I would say for the near term. Great, thanks. Thank you. Ed. Thank you. That's all the questions that we have time for today. I'll now hand back the call, hand the call back over to Greg Lowe, CEO, for any closing comments. Just two thoughts before we um, uh, before we uh, end the call. One, demand remains very strong for silicon carbide, and two, I am personally laser focused on the Mohawk Valley ramp to 20% utilization in the June quarter. Thanks a lot for joining us today, and look forward to updating you in our next quarter's results. Thank you. This now concludes today's call. Thank you.